As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show, the 2022 World Cup is just five months away and we're looking ahead to the big FIFA jamboree in Qatar to look for the biggest storylines, the contenders, the players who might make a splash and much, much more. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who has qualified from the group stage of our hearts to reach the knockout round of our minds, your friend of mine, Tater Rockwell. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Uh, I am very honored to have already made it to the knockout round before games are even played. I am already debating whether or not I should have changed my name officially to Tater, but I leave that to you all, Ryan. You are the decider of names. It's never not funny, Tater. <laughs> it's never not funny. I'm going to use it forever. That's what I'm going for. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> Upgrade. Great. All right. Also, here is a man who loves the idea of a Winter World Cup because where he's from is permanent winter grain, Ruffin. Hello. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Uh, I, I would say that's slightly overselling Scotland. It's just permanent, I would say, autumn drizzle and grey clouds <laughs> that doesn't even get to winter here in Scotland. I don't know how you made a, like a depressing intro more depressing, but well done, Graham. You pulled it off. <laughs> no that's problem. my brand. it is indeed and grounding out our group a man whose home is one of the few places warmer than qatar arizona joe lowry hey yo we talked a little bit about taylor you and i yesterday about my brief california trip and now being back in the desert i'm reminded about just how hot it is here we've actually had a little bit of a relief from the heat i'm not sure that we made it over 100 yesterday we probably did but i was inside all day so it doesn't really matter either way it's it's hot, Ryan. It's hot. Can I take a vacation to where Graham is now? Is that what you do? Like, genuinely speaking, Joe, do you take vacations to cooler places? Um, I mean, yes, but not purposefully, just because every place is cooler than Phoenix. <laughs> That's the only reason. That's You're like, oh, I can't wait to use that sweater I bought and haven't used apart from <laughs> when I put it in a suitcase. The rule when it goes from summer you know, into slightly cooler temperatures is that when it hits 80 degrees, we're allowed to wear long sleeves. So that's my rule, at least. <laughs> Joe, I don't know why you're complaining. Uh, 
checking the weather app really quickly tells me that uh, it's 93 where you are, and it's 95 where Qatar is. So it's downright balmy where you are by comparison. And their high is 115. Yours is only 106. That's just like (laughs) relaxation temperatures to me. Honestly, yeah. yeah, I I should just stop talking about how hot it is here. That's that's a good point, Taylor. Yeah. I mean, if we go to Qatar, Joe's just going to be the one. Like when I went on holiday (laughs) to Florida, you can tell all the locals because they're all wearing jeans and all wear. Like, meanwhile, my daughter, literally, this is a direct quote from Florida, says, it feels like fire, daddy. And yet there's people next to us in jeans. That's going to be Joe in Qatar. He's going to have jeans. He's going to be wearing Timberland boots. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. That is so good. It feels um, like fire. That must have been disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Are you we okay? saw shade what? after that. <laughs> and you were like, no, it's humid here. It's wet fire. Oh. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, Tater, I also had a look at the weather. It is the same in Phoenix today as it is in Qatar. And I okay. did note it's 115 on Sunday in Qatar, but a cool 101 degrees in Phoenix. So you're basically getting a nice respite this weekend, Joe. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No humidity. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. beautiful. There you go. And also, um, just just for reference, the World Cup in Qatar taking place in November or December. They're expecting temperatures between 70 and 80 degrees. So, Joe, very much you'll have your jacket and your long sleeves on, I imagine. There. Oh, yeah. No, that's definitely jeans, long sleeve shirt, maybe some sort of like light jacket kind of weather. Of course. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. All right, I'll have, have less a- clothes on if I'm in Qatar. <laughs> a mankini, perhaps. <laughs> I don't think, Graham, it's never been 105 in Scotland apart from, like, in your oven, basically, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. maybe not even in the oven, to be fair. (laughs) All right, guys, we have a great World Cup show today. On this day, by the way, we're recording on Wednesday, June 22nd. Uh, On this day, Diego Maradona did some stuff in a World Cup many years ago. Did a handball, scored a very good goal thereafter. Just thought I'd uh, commemorate that anniversary. I I did wonder which Maradona, like, because he did some stuff at another World Cup and got banned for it. Yeah, so. (laughs) 94, he did some stuff where, yeah, he wasn't there as long as he anticipated, shall we say. Um, Uh But yeah, he very much went the distance uh, in, what, it was 86, wasn't it? And uh, did some bad things and some very, very good things in the space of a few minutes. This also. He just did good things and good things. Whatevs, whatevs, Graham. (laughs) Um, this is also the eight-year anniversary of the only World Cup game I have ever attended. Russia versus Belgium in uh, Rio de Janeiro. It was a very, very dull game. Yeah. Rex Ryan was sitting two rows in front of me. That's the only yeah. interesting thing that happened. Nice. So, so, Ryan, you posted a picture of this on your Instagram today mm. and provided yet another insight, I think, into your lifestyle just a day after you revealed you ran past all the footballers' houses. What, what were you holding? What drink are you holding in your hand inside a football stadium at the World Cup? Champagne, darling. Yes, indeed. A glass of champagne. I mean, do you not do that in sports games of any kind? Uh, not not often in Scotland. We're not even trusted with any form of alcohol in a football stadium. <laughs> that is banned by law. That's very right. true, yeah. Ryan, when you watched the the final uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie, was it odd for you to identify with the the wealthy elites who finally got their comeuppance? <laughs> did you feel odd to identify with the people like being dragged in front of Scarecrow? <laughs> I did, yeah. I didn't like going to that court that Bane held. But I didn't feel that justice was served very well there. Later. Let him have his say. Champagne for all. That's how I picture Ryan watching that film. 
Yeah, didn't have to walk out onto the ice. Just had some nice iced champagne, Tater. Brought it back. There you go. How's that? Um, let's I talk about it. Qatar, though, shall we? <laughs> it's taking place from November 21st to December 18th. 32 teams and 64 games. Eight groups of four. The top two sides go through to the knockout. Same format as the Champions League. 2026, Taylor, 48 teams. So this is the last 32-team tournament when there will be... Uh, a greater level of competition parity, shall we say, Taylor, in this one to the next? Yeah, I, I gotta say, I'm excited about that expanded World Cup. I genuinely am, because I think it could be interesting. Uh, that said, I, I like kind of forgot about that, and I forgot that this was the last one with 32, and I found myself gen- genuinely kind of sad. Like, I, it, it, like, the formation change will be interesting, what it means for, or the kind of... Uh, the structure of the tournament will change, obviously. And that, again, will be interesting. But it's just, it's what we've come to expect. It's what we're used to. And obviously, it's expanded in our lifetime, maybe multiple times, depending on how old you are. Um, but it still just seems a little bit strange to have the four groups uh, or eight groups of four. Nice and easy numbers. It all makes sense. Uh, now we're getting into the crazy three groups and dead rubbers and all that good stuff. So I look forward to enjoying that aspect of this tournament for sure. I remember being furious when the new format for the World Cup was announced. And then uh, what happened after that was the European Super League and then the reforms of the Champions right. League. And then Arsene Wenger is changing the throw-in rule. And then all of a sudden, the new World Cup format doesn't seem so bad. And I'm not so furious about it. Yeah. Silver linings for you, though, Graham. Scotland might you know, lose a couple of group stage games in Kansas. You can all have a good time there. I mean, we would have a great time. Is that supposed to be? That would be our equal best performance at a World Cup ever. So if we were just there, I would be happy, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And as we've discovered, Kansas has all the good restaurants. Olive Garden. And big parking lots. They're all there. They're all there. (laughs) Um, Graham, what is the city that you think would be most inviting and then least inviting for a Scottish person, broadly speaking, when it comes to the 2026 World Cup? uh, Rain. So Portland. But I know they're not a <laughs> whole city. So you can do Seattle. Seattle, Seattle? Seattle. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Perfect. maybe Atlanta will be a t- bit too hot, maybe, Graham? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Basically, anywhere else is too hot. I think Seattle <laughs> might be too hot. That's true. And Los Angeles and everywhere else. Canada um, it is. <laughs> so this tournament yeah, in Qatar coming up first ever time the tournament will be held in the Middle East uh, we were looking at some maps on our Slack channel earlier Qatar is 11 times smaller than New York it is 21 times smaller than the UK so travel uh, Joe not a concern for teams like it would have been in Brazil or Russia where they had to uh, travel a great expanse to play group games and knockout games so that's a benefit I guess I mean, yeah, that's, that is one positive part of this tournament. I think the more that places can do to make life easier for players means that we're going to see slightly better soccer. I don't know that it'll be noticeable or truly observable, but I do think that is one very small silver lining in the cloud that we discussed plenty in depth last week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Is anyone else still struggling with that a little bit? I mean, I assume we will keep kind of having those conversations in the lead up to the World Cup. But it's strange to me that having that entire conversation that we had last week about the World Cup being in Qatar, what it means to watch, does it make you a bad person, all that. It's still like it only takes a couple articles for me to go right back into that. This is not a great idea. I do not love this. I am sad that this World Cup, this great experience is sort of being tarnished. It's been tarnished before. We talked about that previously. But it's just it's it it really is just going to be an ever present thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is not going away. 
Yeah, the thing is, I'm I'm a total stadium nerd. So I, one of my favourite things about the World Cup is geeking out on any new stadiums or mm-hmm. stadiums that I'm not familiar yeah. with. And I just haven't done any of that in this with this tournament. So I, I get what you're saying, Taylor. And with, with regards to the football, I, I'm still finding a, a way for me to get excited about that. I'm very much looking forward to the US, USMNT playing England and those sort of games. And, and, and I, can, I can get quite excited about that sort of thing. But I actually, despite the fact I've never actually been to a World Cup, I normally get get excited about the tournament going to another country and just learning a little bit more about that country and as I say the stadiums and the cities and I'm just not excited about any of that at all I have I've barely looked into the stadiums I think one is a one's made out of shipping containers yep. uh, another one looks slightly dodgy shall yeah. we say um, but other than that I know very little about them. Graham I know what you mean it, it's this thing of like if it's any other situation, and I'm not sure it could be because ultimately it's going to be a ton of oil money is financing it. That's probably what would allow that to happen. Like if, if it were any other situation of it being in like such a small country with venues all over the place that you can get to really easily. They're doing innovative things with the stadiums. It's going to be the final World Cup at 32 teams. Like you're going to have all these different people from all these different backgrounds in this one location. There are so many reasons to be excited about it and all the infrastructure that's going along with it. And then ultimately, it always is like, but we know how this happened, and we know how this bid was awarded, and we know how that infrastructure was built. And it just always immediately has that sort of that sourness to it on the end, no matter what. So maybe that's just how it's going to be. But maybe that's a thing that we have to be okay with talking about and addressing as we keep going towards our coverage. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Wilson of The Guardian, Graham, had a good line about the homogenous nature of World Cups. In, he said something to the words to the effect of, um, you only know which stadium you're in because it has the name of the city on the on the siding by the advertising when you're looking on the TV, which is kind of true. And looking at some of these stadiums, there's going to be eight stadiums in Qatar. They do look reasonably generic, at least from the mm. inside. Uh, seven of the eight new uh, stadiums are new, um, and they're going to use the, the Khalifa Stadium, Qatar's national stadium, presumably named for um, the influence influencers Wiz and Mia um, all of the stadiums are going to be <laughs> wow. called using so- okay <laughs> yeah sure uh, all the stadiums great are going to be uh, called using solar power uh, they have a zero carbon footprint so that's lovely the final is going to be at Lucille the Lucille iconic stadium which is 23 kilometers north of the capital Doha an 80,000 capacity following the World Cup is going to be reconfigured to a 40,000 seater stadium um, and of course we have to touch on as we have on a recent show the controversial legacy of this tournament lots of migrant worker death lots of human rights abuses which we have to take into consideration when um watching this tournament also um in december 2021 um it was confirmed that homosexuality is not allowed in the emirate but there have been promises that it will be lgbt BIQ plus fans will have the right to travel to the country and attend matches all are welcome say the organizers um also um Joe, watch out. That doesn't, that doesn't quite cut it, does it? Sorry, just to go to that. That doesn't yeah. quite cut it, does it? As in, the law says this thing, but it'll be fine and everyone will be welcome. That's yeah. just completely because unacceptable. If there's one thing we know, Graham, it's that absolute monarchies are usually pretty flexible. So it seems like that's a rule that they're just going to kind of roll with and be nice and loose about. Yeah. Yeah. Extramarital encounters are also illegal, Taylor. So any of yeah. those which take place in Qatar could result in a seven-year jail sentence. So I- watch out. Uh, can we talk about that for a second? Is that the Daily Star article that that you're referencing? I'm what I, I was referencing actually Marka, who quoted the Daily Star. Yeah, I, I have a feeling I've seen that a couple times. That report feels very overblown to me. I think there are still many reasons to be critical of Qatar and, and the policies they have in place. That one I think is all from 
they cited an anonymous police source without saying if it was a London police uh, like person, if it was somebody in Qatar, if it was somebody who was doing security. It, it felt very uh, sketchy on the details, but designed to maybe get clicks. I think there's a term for that. Taylor, it's very on brand for me not to do due diligence, but you suggesting the Daily Star didn't. <laughs> I'm suggesting the Daily Star did the exact due diligence that they needed to do to publish an article like that. Wonderful stuff. All right, guys. Uh, why don't we run through the groups? We're going to talk about the teams therein, maybe any updates, uh, some of the themes running through. Logically, gents, we should start with Group A, which consists of the host Qatar, uh, looking to make some moves here. Ecuador, who scraped through Commonwealth qualification. Senegal, the reigning AFCON champs, of course. And Netherlands. Colon, they're back, baby. Where should we start with this one? Joe, what do you think about Group A? I like this group a lot, partially because I always have a soft spot for the Netherlands and just the talent they have, and I think they are improving, and, and the quality certainly is there right now. I have a soft spot for them, and then Senegal as well, I think, are an incredibly entertaining team. There's so much talent there, and we saw that watching a bunch of AFCON games over the last year. And then Qatar, from a soccer standpoint... They're a really interesting team as well, right? So this is a team that a lot of folks haven't spent much of any time watching. Taylor, you and I got a, a much closer look at them last summer in the Gold Cup, and I did a ton of other research on them and, and that squad. And I, I know there was this headline going around about them losing to... Graham, what was that? Was that like a Northern Irish second division team? Did anybody else see that headline? Oh, did they lose to Linfield? Or, yeah, it, or it something? Was, yeah, it was something absurd. So, and I, I don't, there weren't many other details floating around about that. But it sort of started up this whole, will Qatar even show up to this tournament? Are they even going to you know play well at all? And I think Qatar does have a lot more quality than anyone else thinks they do. They're hovering around 50 in both the FIFA rankings and the ELO ratings, which are, are just different ways of calculating international team strength. Qatar has some quality in Ecuador as well. There's been some drama around Ecuador recently, so their World Cup hopes were in doubt at least a little bit when Chile launched a protest to FIFA, saying that Ecuador had fielded an ineligible player using Byron Castillo in World Cup qualifying. So Chile said that Castillo had false documentation that misrepresented his age and, maybe most importantly, his nationality. And this is a quote from an ESPN article. If the points from the games in which Castillo played were to be awarded to their opponents as 3 nothing wins, then Ecuador would lose their World Cup spot and it would be taken by Chile. So that was the, the whole debacle here with Ecuador. And two weeks ago, FIFA dismissed Chile's claim. And since then, Chile said they're going to appeal. But it's pretty unlikely that anything is going to change before the World Cup, given how long things take. So that's the other major storyline, or at least one of them coming out of Group A. Ecuador maybe kind of sort of potentially weren't going to be there, but now we know they will be and i think they can compete in this group too well one of the weirdest things about this group actually concerns the schedule on day one of the tournament and i think i might have mentioned this i definitely mentioned this either on another podcast or maybe the bleach report live that we did but the 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 opening game is always of a world cup is always and it always involves the host nation and on day one qatar are playing ecuador but it's actually the final day of day uh, the final game of day one so the opening match of the tournament is actually senegal netherlands which in, in in a soccer sense is a much better game than qatar ecuador it should be a a higher quality game anyway and then you have england iran and then uh qatar qatar ecuador on, on in the evening so that's slightly strange and feels a little bit weird i'd rather have the host nation open the tournament they want it prime time baby that's all yeah, I, I guess, but it's weird to have more than one game on the opening day. Normally yeah. it's just one game in the evening, and then the next day is when you fully get into it. 
That is very true. Graham, we can only pray for a shorter opening ceremony in that respect, can we not? Please, please, please. <laughs> uh, Taylor, uh, there are two things I can't tolerate. Intolerance of other cultures and the Dutch. I don't feel that way. I just wanted to do my Michael Caine impression. How do you feel about the Netherlands being back? Uh, I feel very good about the Netherlands being back. I feel better about that impression because I knew it was Michael Caine. Uh, well done, Ryan Bailey. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's always... Name the movie, I, Taylor. Name the movie. Was that Austin Powers? Gold member. There we are. I'm not sure I love that I could quote that one. Michael Caine has made some choices in his film career. Anyway, uh, the Netherlands have also made some choices, including bringing back Louis van Gaal. Uh, but I, I agree with, I believe, Joe, just that it's, it's nice to have the Dutch at a tournament. I think anytime you have those kind of those big institutions uh, involved, it always makes me happy that we don't have Italy once again. does not make me happy. But to have the Dutch and to have the talent they have. But also I think with the Dutch, there's always – a lot of debate about who's going to start where and where is the depth. And there's always a couple of positions where you could see a youngster break through. You could see a veteran included. Uh, and I think that makes them pretty compelling as well. I think they have a good mix at the moment, mm-hmm. Holland. So they've, they've got players in, the, in their peak like Virgil van Dijk, who will obviously be back this for this tournament, having missed the, the Euros. They've got uh, Frankie de Jong, Memphis Depay. So those players are... are very established members of this team, but then they've got youngsters like Urien Timber, Noah Lang, and then they've got experienced vet- veterans like Daily Blend. And I even like, in terms of the profile of the squad, the options that they have. So they've got fluid players like Steven Bergvine, who, by the way, has been excellent under Louis Van Howe. Memphis is another player I'd mention as, as, as a very fluid forward. But then they've got more orthodox options like uh, Veghorst. So if they need to chase a goal in the final 10 minutes and need to be slightly more direct and get some crosses in there, they've got a player that they can play to in that way as well. So I think, I, I predicted back when the Netherlands had Ronald Koeman as their manager that they were sort of coming into golden generation is overselling it slightly but I thought they had a good crop of players and then what happened was Frank de Boer happened essentially and they took about five steps back now he's gone Van Hal's in and they just seem to have a better mix now they're playing more as a unit that back three is working really well for them so I, I think they could be a, a, a real force and I was going to say this summer because that's just how you always talk about World Cups but when has it been played this winter this winter <laughs> Should be played right now. Should be, we should be enjoying it right now, Graham. That's how it should be. Um, all right. So that's Group A. Logically speaking, Joe, I think the Senegal, uh, the Senegal, the Netherlands and Senegal are probably the teams one would expect to come out of this group. But, you know, there's the hosts in there. Ecuador are no, uh, are no slouches either. This is a tricky one to call, isn't it? It is, and, and all of these groups are. You can look at the favorites, the pot one and the pot two teams, although in this case it's pot two and pot three because Qatar was in that pot one. So this one is a little bit weirder than a lot of the others. It wouldn't surprise me if any two of Ecuador, Senegal, or the Netherlands made it out. Here, Ecuador, I think, is underrated. Making it through Conmebol qualifying is so difficult, and they do have quality, and they're relatively pragmatic with how they play, which could serve them well in a tournament like this. Qatar, I, I don't expect to make it out, but I do expect them to make more noise maybe then it noise in a, in a soccer sense I guess than than a lot of other folks might think yeah Joe uh, I, I think I think I'm inclined to say that it's the Dutch and Senegal getting out of this group I'm also inclined to say that maybe in another group Qatar would have a little bit better odds and though this this one on the surface doesn't have like I guess the Dutch would be considered the favorite but it seems like fairly open from there I think Senegal have proven themselves to be technically very 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 proficient but then also can handle the physicality of of knockout football and have risen to the occasion when needed so I think they can handle the kind of pressing and intensity of Qatar I think Ecuador are content to play with the ball but also not have the ball and I think that sort of nullifies the 
press that I've seen from Qatar in some of their recent games. And Qatar also very good at kind of fast uh, playing like the ball quickly, keeping it moving, finding pockets of space. Uh, they're, they're big in ball retention, but you have to kind of get spread out for them to have a lot of consistent opportunities. And if Ecuador stay compact, if the Dutch uh, are as press resistant as I expect them to be and Senegal the same, I think Qatar might struggle more than I would have expected before I started watching them again. All right. Uh, Taylor, uh, Michael Caine was famously in Jaws 4, and mm-hmm. I believe he was asked uh, many years later, what did you think of Jaws 4, which is mm-hmm. a bit of a stinker? And he <laughs> said, I think it paved my house in the Caribbean. I, I've never seen it, but I have seen the house it paid for, which is lovely, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and weirdly, it's like the, the, the worldwide uh, magnet theory. Uh, my brother and I were texting that exact quote like a day ago. That's the only reason why it's so fresh in my brain. So there you go, Ryan. Uh, you and my brother, similar tastes in movies. Great minds think alike, Tater. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the group of TSS and much more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are running through the World Cup 2022 groups. We have reached Group B, a.k.a. the group of nearly TSS, Graham. So nearly. England, 
Iran, the US, and Wales. Um, where on earth? <laughs> I'll take that as you want to start with your comments on this group, Graham. <laughs> uh, it was so close to being the perfect TSS group, but Scotland let the team and uh, a whole country down by timing our worst performance of the last two years for our World Cup playoff semi-final against Ukraine. Anyway, this is still a very interesting group for obvious reasons. I think it's more interesting now than it was a few weeks ago because of how England are playing at the moment. Now, of course, there are there were some mitigating factors in their last international window where they lost twice to Hungary and one of those defeats was a 4-0 loss at home and then they drew away, away to Germany and at home to Italy. I think it felt like the last international window was warped slightly by how everyone just looked absolutely knackered with it coming at the end of the season. So there were some weird results across the board. But then you could kind of say, well, everyone was knackered. So I'm not sure that's an excuse that was specific to England. What was worrying from an England point of view was just the lack of creativity in those games. So England had just two shots on target in that 4-0 defeat to Hungary, and they both came from John Stones. And this is an England team that has a lot of creativity in terms of the profile of the players. They've got Foden, Mount, Grealish, Conor Gallagher, and yet Southgate still doesn't seem to know how to get the most out of those players. So that is the worry. And when this group was drawn... I would have had England, to be honest, even though I, I would probably pick the US to get out of this group as well. I, I think that it's maybe a tier one and tier two in terms of the talent of the, of the, of the teams. But with, if England play like they did in the last window and if they carry some of that negativity into the World Cup, then maybe top spot is up for grabs. And I think the US finished top ahead of England in the 2010 World Cup. So there is precedent for that to happen. And I think Wales are a slightly better to bring them into the conversation as well. I think they're slightly better than I had given them credit for as well, because with Wales, you talk about them as a team and you can't really avoid talking about Gareth Bale. I think he might be one of the most influential players in international soccer. He's obviously a world-class player and he tends to find his best form for Wales. But then you look at the rest of their team and I think they have a group of really dependable players yeah. in other positions as well. So Ben Davis, Joe Roden, uh, Joe Allen, Kiefer Moore, even Dan James. I know Taylor, Dan James, the same Dan James. They hey, all do a job for Rob Page. <laughs> um, and so I think, I don't think Wales will be very entertaining to watch, but I do think they will be dangerous in that group in that they they do have tournament experience, recent tournament experience. They have Gareth Bale, a match winner, and they have a solid team that, as I say, has been in this situation before. So they might be slightly better than I had I had them down for when this draw was initially made as well. Wales yeah. are like Wales are like that. Maybe this is just because it's U.S. Open Cup time, and they're that's a little bit on my brain right now. Wales are like the lower division team that makes an annoying run, not in the U.S. Open Cup because I think those runs are great, but that would make an annoying run in this kind of tournament. With how they play, they have some some real focal points in the attack. There is quality in other areas, Graham. You're totally right, and they're willing to to sit and to be compact and to hit on the break and to use set pieces to score goals. I mean, that is with Kiefer Moore up top and with some of the center backs that they have, they are really dangerous in those kinds of moments. And that's just a recipe for uh, some sort of run or at least one upset or something like that in in the group stage or maybe even in a knockout round at some point. I, I don't think Wales should be favorites, and they're not, according to the betting markets, to make it out of this group. But they are not a team that should be dismissed. Neither should Iran, I think. They're a really tricky one. We're not getting a ton of information on them. They've only played one game since World Cup qualifying. They had a friendly scheduled against Canada, and that, that friendly was canceled due to geopolitical reasons and factors. And since then, Iran played one game. It was a friendly against, I believe it was a friendly against Algeria, which was like an Algeria B-plus team, maybe, and Iran lost that game. 
they're not world beaters, but they have real talent as well in the attack. Portugal, uh, some some players that play, I believe, in the Netherlands and in in the Bundesliga, they have legitimate talents uh, talent. And I've watched plenty of footage on them, but really they they haven't played that many quality teams. So Iran is a little bit of an unknown, but they, I mean we we do still know certain things about them. They will sit, but they're also willing to possess. The structure doesn't look amazing when they have the ball, but but they certainly have individual talent to beat you. They funnel play out wide, especially to the left, a lot of the time, and they have quality in those spaces. None of these teams are just going to lay down and, and go without a fight. This group, for me, it really could be anyone's game with England still being the favorite on top. Yeah, I just I think so much of the the geopolitical aspect of this group is going to influence these games because it doesn't really matter to me how poorly Iran is playing uh, in the lead up to the tournament. Ultimately, they're playing the U.S. There's going to be like a, a point to be made there. I think the same goes for Wales against England. I think the same goes for the United States against England. So I, I think to some extent, who is able to like absorb that pressure and the intensity of the moment and then utilize it uh, to their advantage will be the team that I think ends up making it out. For I, I think I'm less nervous about Iran right now, famous last words, but I went back and watched chunks of their uh, 2-0 loss to South Korea, and we should note that this was after, I think both teams had already qualified for the World Cup. But even so, watching Iran, the way they defended, they defend deep, but they also leave pretty big gaps between their lines and in between the lines. And then when they try to step, it's almost always reactively, it's a ball has already been played into someone's feet, and then they're trying to make a play as the ball is halfway there. I didn't see a ton of proactive stepping of offside lines pushing high and just trying to, to like anticipate that pass and get there first. And it left them open, and it led to a, a lot of sort of domino attacks for Korea when one player uh, from around would step and get bypassed, and now someone else has to fill in, and that opens up space, and then that opens up space, and both the Korean goals came about from similar defensive errors. So I think there is a vulnerability to Iran, but then you wonder, does playing against the United States make them kind of elevate and have like extra levels of energy than they might have against Korea? Who knows, but I suspect it might. So we have an England team who do appear to be slumping at the wrong time. I think this September window is going to be absolutely vital for England, uh, psychologically, if anything. We have a Wales team who not are not the one-man team they're purported to be. We have Iran as a bit of an unknown quantity, by at least by the quantity of minutes they've played uh, recently. So, Taylor, I see a scenario where the Rebel Colonies could top this group. <laughs> I mean, it's happened before. It could happen again. Maybe England gets their first ever win against the United States at a World Cup, but it seems unlikely. Uh, but, you know, then the United States <laughs> have plenty of issues themselves. Center back and center back depth at that. Uh, always a question mark. Who will start in goal? Question mark. Who will score the goals? Uh, an even bigger one. Uh, so there's plenty of... Like vulnerability for the United States, I would say that so many positions do have strength, especially through the midfield, especially at fullback. That makes me, and especially with the wide attack, that makes me feel more optimistic about some chances. Because reading about some of the teams we're going to be talking about, there are some teams that still have a lot to figure out between now and the World Cup. I think the United States has plenty to figure out, but it's not quite crisis panic stations yet. Uh, Graham, for me, I think it's USA and England who get out of this group. What say you? Yeah, I think I have to go with that on on talent, but I do think Wales are going to be difficult. I have I have a feeling that USA Wales game a lot is going to be determined by by that one. Yeah. I think that there's going to be a lot riding on that. And Graham, like like to your to your point about Dan James, that is a player that I liked 
like when he signed for Manchester United and even after he was sold. But for him, playing with United, it didn't always make sense when they were trying to have possession and you were relying on his technical ability. When you're sitting deeper and using him to hit on the break, that is exactly where he wants to play. Yeah. And I also think maybe half season with Jesse Marsh still in charge at Leeds maybe helps round out his technical ability. And I would fully expect him to be a very dangerous player for Wales because Gareth Bale will get so much attention. So it's that type of player that I think could make that difference. And I agree with you, that game is going to be a major, major one for who gets out. Oh boy. Group B, tricky one. Shall we move on to Group C? We have Argentina there, who for many are a favorite to win this tournament. Uh, We have Saudi Arabia, who will be playing the US in September uh, in a friendly because reasons. We have Mexico and we have Poland as well. That is a very strong group, I would say. Joe, I think the gap in my knowledge is with Saudi Arabia. I don't know as much about them. Have you had a look? I have. And and before I dive into Saudi Arabia, weirdly, I actually feel like this is, I don't know, one of the easier groups. It feels to me like there's a pretty clear divide between Argentina and Mexico and then between Saudi Arabia and Poland. So those two teams in almost many groups, I feel like there's a a quality gap. I don't think Poland are very good at soccer. I think Robert Lewandowski is great at soccer, but I've never been impressed watching Poland, at least in recent years. So anyway, that's my little overarching thought on this group. (laughs) One where I actually do make sort of a prediction, I guess. Ryan, you should be proud of me. Uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, they're 49th in the FIFA rankings. They're 59th in the ELO ratings. So they're they're maybe the worst team in this particular World Cup. Everyone on their roster, I believe, or at least their most recent rosters, plays in Saudi Arabia. And you get that with some of the teams in that part of the country. There are a lot of locally-based players. They're coached by a, a very familiar name to a lot of folks, Hervé Renard. So he's he's coached some big teams with a club level, and he coached Morocco at the last World Cup. And they played some fun soccer. I don't know if anybody remembers back to 2018, but Morocco didn't make it out of the group. I think they were with Spain and Portugal in that group. So they had a really tough draw, but they were fun. And I I thought they played some of the best and most interesting soccer in that tournament. And Saudi Arabia does a lot of the same things that Morocco did. They like to keep the ball. Caveat on all of this. This is against much lower and worse opposition in their World Cup qualifying groups for the most part than they're playing in this tournament. But at least in qualifying, they like to keep the ball. And that rings true for their recent friendlies as well. But they're not totally married to that. They'll extend defensively. They will press some in the attacking half. They'll defend at times in either a a 4-5-1 or a 4-4-2. They don't look crazy dangerous, and I think this is where their a little bit of their lack of quality shines through. They don't look crazy dangerous in the attack. They haven't scored more than one goal in a single game since October of 2021. So it's been almost a year now, and they've played plenty of games in that span. They didn't create much in their recent friendlies either. I watched a good chunk of them against Venezuela and them against Colombia. Those were respectable results and, and scorelines for Saudi Arabia, but I, I don't think they're going to dazzle a ton of people in the individual quality. For me, the most interesting part is about how they set up as a team. And I'm just afraid, I guess for them, that their lack of quality relative to some of the other teams in this tournament and some of their chance creation issues won't make for a can do won't 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 really make for a strong World Cup showing here. Um we had a situation in twenty fourteen, Graham, where Leo Messi was pitched as having his last chance of winning a World Cup. Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2022, and he seems like he has a very, very good chance of winning his last World Cup. Yeah, so this is going to be one of the biggest storylines ahead of, of the tournament and, and during the tournament itself. It's kind of unavoidable. This this could be the greatest footballer player, football player sorry, of all times last World Cup, and at least at the top. Obviously, he'll be, what, 38 or something by the time the next World Cup comes round. Graham, is uh, he going to Yunus, be- Yunus Musa isn't retiring. <laughs> all right that's true that's true 
Uh, I, I hadn't considered that. You're I'm right. Glad Thank I glad I derailed that entire point for a joke. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's that's very much on brand for this podcast. I feel. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it could be his last chance to win the World Cup, as you say, there, Ryan. And, and Argentina are one of the the favourites to win it. A lot of people actually have them as the the outright outright favourites. So Lionel Scaloni's team, they they were unbeaten in qualifying. Weirdly, they didn't finish top of calling the ball. That was still Brazil. They finished six points behind them, but nonetheless, didn't lose a game. They beat Italy in the finalisma which was this strange contrived game between the winners of the Copa America and the winners of uh, of the Euros just a few weeks ago so I don't I don't know how competitive that was but nonetheless if you beat Italy it's it's notable and I think the most obviously positive thing about Argentina right now is that they have a complete team which hasn't been the case since about I would say 2010 would be the last time I'd say Argentina had a had a complete team or 2010 2000 is it maybe 2006 I'm thinking about anyway it's a it's around about that time they have a strong defense with the likes of uh, Christian Romero Lissandro Martinez Otamendi Tagliafico they have a good midfield with Rodrigo De Paul uh, Lo Celso and then obviously their attack is one of the the best around they've got Messi Dybala Latara Martinez Angel Di Maria Angel Correa loads of players and I think what is most impressive about what Scaloni has managed to do is he's turned them into a unit. So they've they've kept a clean sheet in four of their last five games. They have firepower. As I say, they're a good unit, which isn't something we've been able to say about Argentina for a while at, at a World Cup, even when they make the final in 2014. I feel like that team is deeply flawed. They maybe shouldn't have gone that far in that tournament. So this very much feels like Messi's potentially his, his last genuine chance to get the one trophy that... He's that has evaded him his his whole career. He got the Copa America last uh, last summer. Obviously, Argentina beat Brazil in that game. But Messi's career, and particularly in Argentina, has been defined almost by this this pursuit of the World Cup. Obviously, he's been compared to Diego Maradona. His whole career and Mar- Maradona's greatest achievement, where he defined himself as a player, was at the World Cup, where he led Argentina to glory. And Messi hasn't been able to do that. And it's the one box that he hasn't been able to tick in his career. Indeed. Tater, any thoughts on this group? Maybe on Poland? Um, Haven't had much love yet. Mexico? Uh, I think the only thing, sadly, for Poland that I wanted to mention was that they've uh, dropped Maciej Rebus. 32-year-old left back has, I think, over 60 caps for the national team. Uh, Left playing for Lokomotiv in Russia for five years to go play for Spartak Moscow in Russia for another uh, season at least. Uh, But he was in camp this month after that camp. He was told by the the manager that he would not be playing with the national team in September and was out of contention for the World Cup because he had chosen to continue to play in Russia. Again, geopolitical relations factoring in there with Poland very much on the side of Ukraine. Uh, And so I think that's that's just interesting to see how there are are, uh, national teams that are sort of keeping the ever-present situation and evolving situation situation in mind when it comes to how they're selecting their squads and I think there's probably an argument for that because though ultimately you're you're supposed to theoretically keep politics out of sport when it comes to the World Cup uh, first off I don't think that's ever actually happened and second of all I think it, it's also a risk of disharmony that if you have a bunch of players who left Russia which Poland did to go play elsewhere because of the conflict to then have one player who stays I could see how that could be a, a fracturing element in the locker room and so you also want to nip that out and I think that's what what has happened here. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to note that Russia hosted the last World Cup and are now banned from all FIFA competitions until December mm-hmm. at the earliest. So. That's a good look for FIFA. Yeah, very good, very good. Quite the ride there. <laughs> can I just can I just make one final point about this group? I'm not sure. I'm not so sure how competitive Saudi Arabia are going to be, but they do have the most handsome manager in the whole oh, uh, yeah. competition, in Harvey Renard. Taylor, you, you say he looks like Jamie Lannister. I, I found a tweet do. that's 
I found a tweet. This might be very British, so I apologise to American listeners, but Ryan, you'll get this. A tweet that said, Saudi Arabia's manager looks like the guy who plays Michael Portillo, Portillo in the big-budget Hollywood remake of Great <laughs> British Railway Journeys, which I thought is absolutely spot on. Oh, yeah, I got that reference. A lot of I, yeah, I don't <laughs> understand is. most of the words that Graham said there. No, no, uh, Taylor, I, just the Great British Railway, whatever it was. You know you know all about that, oh, right? Oh, of course, of course, my mistake. It's the yeah. companion to Great British Baking Show, I believe. Yes, yeah, exactly, I mean, that, but with that, trains. Yeah, that course. is the biggest TV show here. It You've goes number three, train. Game of Thrones, number two, Stranger <laughs> Things, number one, Great British Railway Journeys with Michael Partillo. Thanks for the rankings, Graham. Yeah, it's Joe, all in the hair. It's wonderful oh hair. Oh my god, you overproof your train. That's the funniest thing Joe's ever said. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Uh, I think Hervé Renard is also just a fascinating dude. He's on the list of most fascinating like football personalities, along with Lutz van Steel. Uh, he's won Afcon with, I believe, Zambia and the Ivory Coast. He's managed at club level, but also all over the place uh, internationally. And it's exciting to have him back at the World Cup. I think he always brings interesting ideas and interesting teams with a, a decent amount of. Technology technical ability at least we still don't know a ton about saudi arabia or at least we don't joe does but uh, i think he makes this group even that much more interesting his, yeah. his managerial resume is absolutely insane yep. <laughs> on his so he's got teams like leo morocco mm-hmm. saudi arabia ivory coast but then also cambridge united is just in there randomly a spell as, in 2004 as you, do. as you do yeah I don't know if there's a manager with a, a more random resume than that. That might be a challenge for some of the listeners. If there is, tweet us it. I think, I think that's just... the year he also managed in Vietnam that year. I believe he had a yeah. weird. He had a weird one. He had a weird Come one. Come on, this guy's definitely a spy. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> he has to be. It's, he's right now out that you open. mentioned it. Now that you mentioned it. All right, Group D: France, Denmark, Tunisia, and Australia. Uh, what do we think about Group D, Graham? France, probably the uh, the headline act here. Uh, they are. I believe, among some, the favourites to win this whole darn thing. In fact, there is some research I'm just pulling up here from the analyst who did percentage chances of teams Mm. to win the World Cup. They ran 1,000 simulations. Um, And in third was Spain with 11.5% chance of winning. Second were Brazil with 15.7%. Number one, France, 17.9%, according to these simulations that have been run, Graham. I'd like to see they're working on that. The, the analyst is, is owned by Opta, so I'm sure there is some solid working, but it, that is slightly surprising to me, given that France, much like England, seemed to be a, a bit of a low point at the moment. They lost two and draw, uh, drew two of their Nations League games. They, they did lose to Croatia and Denmark, so they, they are two good teams, and obviously Denmark are in their World Cup group, so maybe we can take something from that. Um, they, they exited the Euros last summer slightly earlier than we might have thought that they, that they would, and they, I don't feel like they've really cleared that hangover. It still feels like that they're, they're very over, overly reliant on Benzema and Mbappe for goals, and Deschamps is facing some scrutiny, which for him is just part of the course. It's been that way for him as France manager for a number of years, even when they they won the World Cup in 2018. So I don't have them in my top three favourites, but I still expect them to get through this group comfortably. Joe, that you said about the last group that there was a clear divide. For me, of all the groups at the World Cup, this is potentially yeah. the, the, the group where there is the clearest divide between France and Denmark, who I, I think are an excellent team at the moment. I think they're going to have, as long as they get a good draw in this tournament, I think they're going to have another deep run at this tournament like they did at the Euros, because they have sustained their level throughout the Nations League, and Scotland played Denmark after the Euros, and they were very, very good, a lot better than us. So and and between those two teams, then Tunisia and Australia, who, by the way, I think Australia might be the weakest team at this tournament. So I've actually been following Australia a bit all the way through World Cup qualification. 
part, part of that is because there's some Scottish players in their team and because we have Ange Postacoglu in Scotland at the moment. There's a, quite a bit of crossover between Scotland and Australia at the moment. But anyway, I've, I've been watching them quite a bit and this is a, this is a poor team that Australia have at the moment. I'm, I'm not sure what it says about the strength of AFC that Australia suffered a really poor qualification campaign. Graham Arnold came under a lot of pressure. They needed a penalty shootout and uh, Andrew Redmayne's dancing on the goal line in that shootout <laughs> to get past Peru in, in the international final. I still uh, can't believe that final. happened. I still cannot no, neither, believe neither that can happened. I. It, it, was, it was fantastic. One of my favourite things that's happened in football for a long time. But they, they needed a lot of luck and they don't have a good team and uh, at the moment in terms of talent and they haven't been achieving good results and yet they've still ended up in 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 the World Cup. So I I think they need to build a lot before the winter if they're going to stand any chance of making it out of the group. I I, I don't think they've got any chance of getting out of the group and as I say they they might be the poorest team in this tournament. Taylor, I was speaking to a Danish person recently because I'm very cosmopolitan. Um, and they seem to be talking up their chances of going quite deep in this tournament. What do you think? I, I would agree with that. I would agree with Graham as well. I think th- this Denmark team is just very, very good, very, very consistently. And I think they are one to keep an eye on. I'm sure they will get a ton of dark horse conversation uh, when that time comes. But they are currently top of their Nations League group ahead of Croatia, Austria and France. France and last. We'll talk about them. Uh, and so much that uh, Denmark are now able to have some experimentation as they prepare for the World Cup. And they've been uh, playing with a 4-3-3. They've been switching to a 3-4-3. But then they've got a ton of talent with Christian Eriksen, Hoybier, uh, Delaney, Paulsen, Mikkel Damsgaard. Andreas Olsen has become important uh, as a wide attacker for them. So I, th- I think there is, there is talent, but also technical proficiency and a lot of organization to Denmark. I think they are definitely going to make it out of this group. And I would not be surprised if they do make a run because I think it's easy to look past them and certainly easy to look past their flexibility that they have. Joe, uh, did you get anything on Tunisia? Uh, they went out of the group stage in 2018. Was it a Tunisian player who did the VAR uh, BS mouthing to the camera at the uh, 2018 World Cup? I seem to recall. Maybe it, was, I don't... Maybe it wasn't. I don't remember, and I don't honestly know a ton about Tunisia right now. They're a team that we'll dive into more later. I looked into some of their recent results, and they played a couple of friendlies and got good results there. They they don't look exceptionally impressive. They're, what, 35th in the FIFA rankings? They're not a, a bad team. Again, they're not just going to lie down, but I, I don't have a ton more to say about Tunisia right now. Ryan, I think that was the moment that began the Harry Kane backing into defenders and then falling over. I think that's the penalty that England get against Tunisia, and I think that's what the uh, the VAR dispute was about. Mm, fun times. <laughs> what a wild ride we've had with VAR, have we not, Tata? Um, let's squeeze in one more group before we take a break. Group Wait, have e. we have we spent enough time with France, or have we moved past France? Because I have major concerns about them, and I'm not Taylor, sure if we've... I, yeah. I grew up next door to France. I've spent enough time with them. If you'd like to talk about them, go ahead. I mean, I just, like, do you all share my concern with this French team? And, like, Joe, I know you've got frustration about the Champ. I just, I don't quite know how they're going to put this together because it seems like they're really trying to figure out how to blend all of these incredibly talented players. They have so many different options. The Champ, I think, is, like, experimenting with different shapes and formations and players and personnel in different spots. And I don't know. I don't have a ton of clarity. I'm not sure he does either. And that would make me pretty concerned if I were a fan of this national team. No, he does seem to be rolling through a number of options, and that and experimentation is is healthy to keep things fre- fresh. But 
I'm with you, Taylor. It doesn't really feel like he has a clear idea of what he wants this this team to be. Matteo Guendouzi is getting games, for, which I know he's had a good season for Marseille, but I'm not sure he should be that high up on the depth chart. Similar with uh, William Saliba, and I, I promise I'm not just fo- uh, focusing on Arsenal players or former <laughs> Arsenal players, but uh, France just have so many good options. That, I, that feels strange to me um, but I think Bubkar Kamara had a, got a game recently in central midfield so it certainly feels like that central midfield unit is where there is a, a, a lot of concern as I said at the start they're very reliant on Mbappe and Benzema which look Real Madrid won the Champions League being overly reliant on Benzema so you can still win tournaments and knock out football by by being overly reliant on on individual players but as a unit there there's those concerns about France under Deschamps, but they have all, they've always been there, and I don't think that's going to change before the World Cup. That's sort of his mo by now. Yeah, Benzema uh, wasn't relied upon certainly in the last few tournaments for France, but back for this True. one, it seems. Let's go to Group E: Spain, Germany, Japan, and Costa Rica. Uh, I'm seeing a couple of big sharks in the tank here, Joe. Are you seeing a, a divide in this group as well? Yeah, but I do think Japan in particular can cause some problems here. Costa Rica, credit to them really quick before I dive into Japan and then maybe look at that gulf in in, in qualities to a certain extent. Costa Rica, I didn't think they would be here. I didn't think going back to CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, going back to the Ocho, I didn't think they were going to finish in that fourth spot in CONCACAF, first of all. So they were five points out of that playoff spot with four games to go, and they had some good teams left to play. And they made it. They, they, they held on to that fourth spot. They ended in fourth in the Ocho. And then they go and they snag that, that final spot, one of the last spots in World Cup qualifying by beating New Zealand in the playoff. I, I just did not expect to see Costa Rica here. And so credit to them for making that run. They are not a favorite to get out of this group, but there is undeniable quality there. They're going to have to be defensive. They're going to have to sit in and be resolute defensively if they want to compete in this group. I don't know if they're capable of doing that. Japan, I don't know if they're capable of doing that either, not because the quality isn't there, but because that's really not their MO. They are like this expansive, ball-oriented team with a lot of players at big clubs. You're looking at Minamino from Liverpool. You're looking at Doan from PSV, Takafuso Kubo at, at Mallorca, Ito at Genk. I mean, there's a bunch of Bundesliga players, some Serie A players, some Premier League players. There's a lot of really high-quality players in this team, and they like to use the ball. Now, they're they're literally not going to be able to do that in some of these games, particularly against Spain. So I'm curious to see how that tactical matchup looks, like like what that looks like, because Japan are going to have to shift, because we know Spain certainly aren't going to be doing that. They like to control the ball, Japan. They spread the field in possession. They play through pressure. They had a really nice bit of buildup against Paraguay that ended in a shot a couple weeks back in a friendly. They have athleticism. They can get in behind in transition. They play most of the time out of a 4-3-3. They will step up and press defensively. I think this group could be one of the most entertaining in the entire competition. You have Costa Rica and their story and some of the young talent that I'm hoping we'll see from them at this World Cup. You have Japan who like to spread the field and play more expansive soccer. And then you have Spain who do a similar thing, although it does get a little dreary at times with how much they control. And then you have Germany who can do a little bit of everything and have a ton of talent as well. I really like this group and and Japan being here in Costa Rica snagging that final spot, I think makes this a really compelling one. One Japanese player that I'm really looking forward to seeing at the World Cup is Kyogo Furuhashi, who plays for Celtic yeah. and is the best player in Scotland by a mile. Yeah, he good. is 
unbelievably good. He's he's the perfect modern forward in that he doesn't really have a position. Celtic just stick him up uh, on through the middle on paper, and he just drifts around. And I haven't seen a player in Scotland, and admittedly it's a relatively low bar, but he is so good. He, he I haven't seen a player with the technical ability of him for years and years and years, and. I think if he's fit and he gets, he should get the game time. He's been playing, uh, he's been a regular for Japan for a while now. If he plays at the World Cup, I think that level could really show just how good he is. I, I'm a massive fan of him. Taylor, um, a couple of weeks back, I put on the Nations League game between Germany and England. And I looked at the lineup that Germany had out and I thought, they're not taking this seriously. They've like Schlotterbeck in the back and Klosterman and Raum and Hoffman and sort of these non-regular players whom, whom I would consider. Obviously like Kimmich and Gundogan and Muller and I think Havertz was playing as well. But then I realised, oh, this is the next generation. This is Hansi Flick's team and they look very good. I feel like you're trying to set that up to make England feel better for that one-to-one draw against Germany. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you that I think this is the interesting time for Germany where you have a lot of talent that we that we know, but it's also worth remembering it's a lot of talent that is still very, very young. And, and in some cases, I would say Musiala has had plenty of games, but I still don't think he's necessarily like broken through, at least in my mind. I'm not like the the ultimate uh, Jamal Musiala fan or anything like that. But I think that is what makes this German team so fascinating. Last time we saw them at a World Cup, it was, should Yogi Lowe still be there? He's announced his retirement. Is this going to work? I don't know. And and I feel like we, we now know that you have to have that blend of veterans with youth. And it seems like Hansi Flick is continuing to experiment. I would put him in that more positive experimentation category of, knows what he wants to do, I think has instilled a good amount of the DNA into this national team, and then it's about trying different combinations and see who can handle multiple assignments or different positions or just stepping in to a start when they weren't expecting to get that start. And I think that puts Germany in a pretty favorable position overall. Uh, Graham, have we spent enough time discussing Spain's chances here? No, I don't think so. I think we need to mention them as one of the, the front runners. I think I would have them in my number three spot as, as, uh, among the favorites. And I know Italy won the Euros last summer and England made the final, but Spain were the team I came away from that tournament thinking they're onto something. They're going to be a real force. And you could see the, you could see the process there because coming into that tournament, it wasn't entirely clear who their big players were, who they were going to build around. And by the end of that tournament, I think we had an idea of who, who those guys were. They were very good in possession at the Euros. They created chances, but didn't have the players to convert those chances. And that is still the biggest question about this Spain side at the moment. They have improved steadily in the Nations League. I think they have an excellent midfield unit. They can control games like few other international teams uh, can. I still think they can be vulnerable when they themselves are caught in moments of transition, but their control, the, the, the control of games that they have that I just mentioned there, means that they, there aren't many of those moments. They don't tend to get caught out. And I think Gavi and Pedri in particular are the future of this, of this Spain team. I think there's a good chance that Ferran Torres flourishes into a fluid, mobile, false 90 type striker by the time the World Cup starts. He's obviously played a few times there for, for Barcelona and Luis Enrique. He keeps using him in that position, then goes back to Alvaro Morata and other options. I think by the time the World Cup comes around, Torres is going to have that position as his own. But yeah, I think the number nine and the goalkeeper are still the worries for Spain. And if they sort those out, then I anticipate they're going to have a very good World Cup. All right, quick break time. When we come back, we have a look at groups F, G and H. Back shortly. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're running a little long in this episode, but don't worry, listener. We won't let you be alone with your thoughts while you walk your dog. We've got more to talk about in this World Cup roundup. Let's go to Group F. Belgium, Canada, Morocco and Croatia. Interesting. What do we think about Canada's chances, Tata? Uh, I mean, I would feel a lot better if this window had gone better for them. But uh, both of their friendlies canceled one for, as Joe mentioned, uh, geopolitical issues with Iran. uh, And then the second due to a pay dispute between the players and the Canadian Federation that is not yet resolved, but is being they're working towards resolution. uh, But it still left a bad taste. And I think a lot of supporters uh, mouths because it was canceled so sh- so short in such a short time period before the game was played. So you had people traveling, people already there, people had bought tickets, and to have that game called off for this Canada team that really had that momentum growing, it, it felt like two unnecessary sidesteps. And especially because this is a team that top Concacaf, John Herdman, I think, knows pretty much his starting 11 maybe there's a couple questions there but I think he has a lot of answers to this squad but those friendlies could have let him experiment with some younger players and try some yeah. different things and I think he wasn't able to do that as much the game against Honduras is played basically inside of a swimming pool so you're not really <laughs> able to take a ton away from that aside from that they kept with the kind of possession uh like game focus that they've had previously, but I don't think this was the best window for Canada, and it certainly didn't do much to make me think they are going to rise to that next level. They still might, but I just don't think this window gave us a very good look at them. 
Taylor, I, I totally agree with all of that, except maybe for the possession part, because I don't know how focused they are on some of that. But setting, setting that aside, I agree with all of your thoughts on this last window. It was a major missed opportunity for Canada and for John Herdman. I, I still can't shake this feeling, and maybe this is my view at the world, view looking at the world through CONCACAF colored glasses, but I, I cannot shake the feeling that Canada might actually be the second best team in this group after Belgium. I don't know if anybody else agrees or, or is even close to where I am on this. After the U.S. beat Morocco 3-0, I know that was a friendly and Morocco didn't play all that well. They did create chances still, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I don't think Morocco are impossible to beat in Croatia I think are old and I kind of think about them in Poland in the same category they're not impressive they have impressive individual players but they don't really have a cohesive identity they don't they don't ever look dominant I know they just beat France I know they've had good good games but they're not a team that I really think has a a ton of quality and a ton of chances to move out of this group Canada has individual quality, like some of the other teams here, but they also have a very cohesive identity that I think is conducive to tournament soccer in that they are are compact at times, and they also will press, and then they have game breakers like Alfonso Davies, they have Tejan Buchanan, they have quality up top as well. I just feel like Canada has a really strong chance, even being a pot three team here, of making a run and at least getting out of this group. Joe I think, hates Eastern Europe. Got it. I mean, I, I think I, I think I agree with Joe, like mostly when he's talking about Canada. I do not agree with the uh, how easily you're dismissing Croatia. Who I, I know what you mean that they're an older team and you do expect them to like have to cycle through or get some new players in there. And maybe this will be when it finally starts to kind of catch up to them. But that said, I mean, it's a midfield of Luka Modric, of Brozovic, and of Kovacic. Yes, a little bit older than two, but still very, very, very good on the technical side. And I think you've still got like a lot of quality in their defense. Uh, obviously, experience in Vita playing for Besiktas, maybe not quite like the highest level, but I like uh, Chaleta Sar uh, as a center back for them. And I think there's just still that quality through the spine of that team. I think they're still showing that in Nations League, they're doing just fine in second place behind Denmark. Uh, and so I think it probably comes down to Croatia, Canada, and I think. If it's Canada able to kind of catch Croatia, if, if Croatia start a little bit slow, or maybe if they are, are getting a little bit fatigued at that point, then maybe this goes a different way. But I would say, in my mind, it's uh, Croatia in second place, Canada just yeah. behind. Wouldn't be surprised if it's the other way around, but I, I give the edge and, to Croatia. And the thing I'm about to mention about Croatia is very, very intangible. I appreciate that. But they are just a tournament country. They're sort of a little bit like Germany in that yep. even when they look poor, so you, you get a World Cup cycle and you go, ah, Croatia, they're old and they're finished, and then they make a run to the semifinals <laughs> like they did at the last World Cup. There's just something in their national psyche that when a tournament comes round, they do well. And that's been that way for the the last kind of 20 years. Yeah. So I agree with Joe to a certain extent. You go through the groups at the World Cup, well, I do this anyway with groups at the World Cup, and you kind of pick who the teams are that might make an, make an unexpected run. And Canada are certainly one of those teams where it would not overly surprise me if they get through this group. But Croatia just have that thing where they know how to perform at tournaments. Yeah, um, and they went slightly further than the semifinals in the last one as well. Great. They did indeed. Should be noted <laughs> at, at, at England's expense. Um, Graham, while I have you, Belgium... Are they still golden? Are they slightly tarnished? Are they more like a dull iron colour now, this golden generation? (laughs) Yeah, a a little bit. It kind of feels like, to me anyway, it kind of feels like maybe their opportunity has has passed where, yes, they still have a lot of 
good players, obviously Kevin De Bruyne being one of them, but you look at someone like Eden Hazard, who four years ago or eight years ago would have been one of the best players in the world, and obviously he's just come off the back of a season for Real Madrid, where he has he has barely played, and I have always had doubts about Roberto Martinez with this team and whether he's been able to get the best out of this group, and recently they were thumped by the Netherlands, which did not go down well, so there's, there's even a little bit of uncertainty about Martinez's job. Similar to Southgate, it feels unlikely that there's going to be a change, but it would not surprise me if Belgium have a poor World Cup if he is out of there and, and they do make that change. And it feels like Belgium, for so long, they just had a conveyor belt of brilliant world-class young players and that conveyor belt has just started to slow these last few years. So it doesn't feel like there's much for Martinez to transition into at this time. But on the plus side, lots of experience and as I say, still a lot of players playing at a, a top level. Indeed, that's Group F. Let's move on to Group G. Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. Uh, Joe, an Eastern European team here you want to have at them? No, I mean, I, I kind of like Serbia. I think they have a lot of impressive players, and I think they've been playing some good soccer recently. In, in Switzerland, I enjoy watching as well. You get to watch the Chicago Fire Shakiri spearhead that team, which is, you know, of course, what everybody's looking for here. Um, I, I think this is a fun group. Brazil, of course, the headliner here, and they have so much quality. For me, they're part of a group of favorites, like the, the, the top tier in this competition. Brazil, Argentina, Spain, Germany, France, Portugal and maybe England and Belgium. Those last two I'm a little less sure of, but I, I think Brazil are pretty much must-see TV right now with all of the talent that they have, and they're playing good soccer as well as they do, and as they have so often done. I really like this group. It maybe is a little more underrated outside of Brazil, but I think there's some really dangerous teams in here, even outside of them. Taylor? Yeah, I think for many, Brazil are the favorites to win this whole gosh darn thing. Yeah. Do you agree? I do. Uh, yeah, I think Brazil, just just really, really good. Have tons of talent. Uh, like, tough to beat. And I think especially coming out of this group where I do think that they are the favorite and I do think that they, like, each team could potentially cause them problems. But I see Brazil making it out of this one fairly comfortably, and I think that puts them in a strong position in the knockout round. It's always down to who they draw. But yeah, I, I think right now I would have Brazil as my favorites for the tournament. Uh, and I think it's going to be like a really strange group because Switzerland, I think you could make, like Joe, some of your criticisms about Croatia, I think you could also level at Switzerland with being a little bit long of the tooth, with having like some players that maybe need to be moved on or maybe not quite uh, the evolution there. But I haven't watched a ton of Switzerland, like not maybe since they I saw them against the U.S. really, so who knows. But Serbia is a team that I always get excited about when they're in the World Cup because they always have enough players that you think they're going to do very, very well, and then they almost always implode. I've been fooled like twice at least by them. I'm not getting fooled yet again. And Cameroon uh, have plenty of talent, don't get me wrong, but there's also... Uh, I, I would guess sort of just like internal issues when you have somebody like Joel Matip being left off because he had announced his retirement due to dissatisfaction with the Cameroonian FA in the past. New Cameroonian president Samuel Eto'o has come out and said like, nope, we don't want him. He's not part of the team. We don't need that energy. But I have to believe that a center back who, who can start or starts for Liverpool and is important to that team should be important to his national team where there isn't a ton of center back depth or strength in that position. So I think there's vulnerability to Cameroon. Same for Switzerland. Same for Serbia. Less so for Brazil. Even if this is supposedly Neymar's last World Cup, I saw that story today. I doubt that's true. I can't imagine Messi and Ronaldo retiring and Neymar not taking advantage in 2026. Why would it be his last World Cup? Just that he's he's over it. He's just over it. He's tired of it. Ready for the next challenge. He's going to go play baseball. 
Uh, he's just gonna. He, he just he just wants free time to attend his sister's uh, birthday yeah, party. That's the one. That's, that's the one. The, the summer ones. Yeah, that's very true. He did die at the 2014 World Cup after all, and still <laughs> managed to keep playing on. So he did well there. Um, let's do the final group: Group H, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. Graham, what do you make of this one? Portugal are they going to do that thing where they sort of poop house their way to a final again? Um, probably not. I had I had foolishly hoped after Euro 2020 that Portugal would try and evolve and become a more attack-minded <laughs> team because that is where their strength lies in their squad. They have so much talent at the moment. It used to be the case that it was it was Ronaldo and 10 others, essentially. At Euro 2016, that was essentially what it was. But now they have Bernardo Silva and Yao Felix and Diogo Jota and Renato Sanchez and Yao Cancelo and so many others that I haven't even mentioned. But I watched them quite a bit through uh, the Nations League and... There was not much sign of that, and I wish that I hadn't watched watched them because it's still very compact. And yes, they had that good win over over uh, over Switzerland, and they do give some freedom to the likes of Bernardo Silva, and maybe that is where the difference is. He, he there's a bit more freedom between the midfield and the and the uh, and the attack, and they do give some freedom to Yao Cancelo, but. Beyond just giving some individuals uh, some freedom, the shape, it doesn't feel like it's very fluid. And it's it's not a team that you feel you have to watch or you're missing out on something, which is which is a shame because they could absolutely be that team. But as we keep coming back to with international tournaments, maybe being that team, that fluid, entertaining team is not actually what gets you results in, in tournaments. We have a lot of evidence, particularly in the last two decades, that the teams that go far in this are the teams that actually stay compact and know how to defend. And maybe Portugal are that team. But uh, the thing about this group that strikes me is this is the most World Cuppy of all the World Cup groups. Go just on. Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea, four different confederations, four teams that just would not face each other at another competition really ever. And yes, this this is the epitome of the World Cup for me, this group. Fernando Santos point. hates fun. That's that's what it is. He really hates he fun. Does. There's there's a line for me. He hates all of, of us. Yeah. Well, that's true because we we <laughs> like fun and he doesn't. Well, maybe not Graham, but the rest of us like fun. Um, Sometimes. I, I I think there's a line we talk about, and I, I've mentioned it several times. There's a line between teams that are good and defensive, and that is their game plan, and teams that are extremely talented and waste that talent and just sort of default to being overly defensive. And I I know that's worked before. France won the 2018 World Cup in a very similar lack of identity kind of way to how Portugal play now. And France are still in that same boat under Didier Deschamps. They just have so much talent. There's a line for me. It feels wasteful in some of those moments. Canada, I think we can all say, yeah, it kind of makes sense for them to err on the defensive side with with the players they have and some of the players that have that can take advantage of space on the break. Portugal have those players, but then they also have all other kinds of players that can win games in so many different ways. It feels like if you just put a slightly more creative and innovative manager in charge of Portugal and maybe even in charge of France, they would just rip the ceiling off of international soccer, and that just doesn't happen. And, and it, it makes me sad, guys. It really makes me sad because this group could be awesome, and I I don't know that it will be. It is very World Cup-y, but Portugal are are just not that team that's going to really entertain. I still have them as one of my favorites because of the talent they have, but not because of how they play. Uruguay is another team, and, and this is certainly influenced by us having just watched Uruguay Taylor in, in some detail a couple of weeks ago, and that wasn't even the first-choice team that took on the U.S., and they didn't dazzle in that game. But Uruguay is, is a team for me that is not among that first group of favorites, but would not shock me at all if they popped up in a semifinal. I mean, they have this old generation of talent. They have Edson Cavani leading that line. 
or at least he's able to do that. They have Diego Godin. They have players in the back that have been around for a long time. But then there's also this new slash maybe more yeah. established generation, Darwin Nunez. You have Fede Valverde, who's so good in midfield, and we see some of that with Real Madrid. He is brilliant, and when he's pulling some of the strings for Uruguay in midfield, they are really dangerous. So Uruguay, for me, are maybe the best pot two team in this competition. I'd have to go back through and, and look a little closer, but they are certainly a favorite for me to get out of this group and even to do more than that in, in the winter. Can I predict a red card between Ghana and Uruguay right now? Can I go ahead and do that, please? Done. For Luis Suarez, even if he isn't playing. <laughs> yes, exactly. The game starts with a red card to Suarez, even if he doesn't go to the World Cup. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, guys. I think we have given uh, this World Cup justice at this stage five months out. I've got one final question for you all. Uh, I'm going to give you all 10 TSS dollars. If you had to place them on a winner right now, who would you pick? Um, I'll go first. I thought... I think it's going to be Argentina, uh, looking at everything and looking at the state of play at the moment. I did think it was going to be Brazil for a long time. I was actually hoping for a Brazil-Argentina final, but I realized looking at the bracket, if they both win their groups, they would meet at the semi-final stage. But I still think Argentina is where my 10 bucks is going now. Taylor Rockwell? Uh, is it all? Do I have to bet it all on one team? Yes. I'll go Boom. Germany. I'll go Germany for now. 10 bucks on Germany. Okay. Joe? Spain. Just just because I want to see a team that uses the ball win this tournament. Who knows if that'll happen. And Graham? Yeah, I'm going to go Spain as well. I, th- I really like what I've seen from them recently. I thought you were going to ask us which is our favorite group if we could only go on holiday to the places within the group. And the oh, answer is Group good. E. I like that we all said Brazil were favorites and then no one chose them. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> all right, at least Graham and I did. You say Group E, Spain... Germany, Japan, and Costa Rica, your favorite vacation destinations, Graham? Yeah, you've got a good mix there. Germany D, has the exact group same D's climate a good as Britain. Too. <laughs> I know, but Sp- you've got Spain, Japan, and Costa Rica. All right. <laughs> and you've got beer in Germany, so That's there you go. very true. That's very true. Good chat. And sausage. Any, anyone got any movement on that? I'm just, I'm just looking through them now. There's, there's, <laughs> I'm tempted by uh, Group H, Pugs. Uh, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia is not with us. Yeah, that's pretty terms. good. I could get in on that one. There's reasons for each one. Very good. All right, we'll have to do a whole show out of this at some point. But for now, let us leave uh, leave dear listener to get on with the rest of their day. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, my friend. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, even if, you know, Eastern Europeans won't be happy with what you said today. Yeah, man, I hope I didn't anger too many people. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> and Graham, a pleasure <laughs> as always, sir. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Listener, we'll be back on your feed very shortly, but for now... Bye! <laughs>